This is the Luke 10-2 podcast, a conversation about preaching, planting, and leading with Noah Oldham. On today's episode, we sit down with Noah to talk about the role of humor, stories, and illustrations in our preaching. This was a fun conversation, and no matter your personality or style of preaching, I think there's a lot of great takeaways. Let's get started. So, Noah, first of all, do they have a role? Is this even a conversation that we need to have? Uh, Yeah, I think they do. I think it's a conversation that's much needed. Um, A decade into preaching weekly now, uh, at least once a week for a little over 10 years now, I believe that we have, uh, that these things have less of a role than I used to think they did. And as a youth pastor, uh, probably like most youth pastors that are out there, humor was my main shtick. It's the thing I always went to. It was the tool that I used to, to feel like I was being successful in my communication. But since I've been shepherding people over the age of 17 now as a church planter, I realized that I was misusing humor uh, in a lot of different ways. So what are the benefits or the reasons for using humor stories, illustrations? Yeah, I think it's, you even see humor used in the scriptures in different ways. And some of the ways that I think they're useful in sermons are some of the ways we see them used in scripture. I think that they cut the tension. Mm-hmm. You're, reading the, you're reading something that's really, really deep and really, really heavy. And all of a sudden there's this, this phrase or there's this play on words or there's this point of humor that cuts the tension a little bit and helps it uh, just shift the tone. I think that can help it in a sermon, especially a guy like me who tends to be really hot in his preaching, a little bit louder. Um, I come off a little bit more prophetic. The humor can be added in there to change the dynamic, to not feel like I'm yelling for 45 minutes. And humor, it has this unique ability to put people at ease, to make people feel comfortable, um, to have people open up even. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's cool. I think humor and illustrations and stories, they change the pace. You know, if you're preaching and then you shift, all of a sudden the, the pace is changed and that's a natural opportunity for somebody to re-engage. Mm-hmm. So I studied psychology in my undergrad and we learned in cognitive psychology and in a couple other classes as well about this commercial break effect that especially since people have television, they have commercials. You know, the average 30-minute TV show only has about 22 minutes of content. And the average hour show only has about 52 minutes of content. The rest of that's commercials. And so you are engaged in a show, and your brain has learned to naturally disengage for a moment. These commercial breaks are there, and they help you re-engage. And so sometimes a story or an illustration has a point, and you're going to catch it. But if you're wanting the main thrust to be uh, the biblical text that you're expositing for the majority of the sermon, these commercial breaks of illustrations, of of humor, they can not only change the pace, they can help a person who's beginning to check out because their attention span is ending to re-engage again. Dude, I just had an idea. You should have people pay to have advertisements in the sermon. Mm, so mm. I'm between, sure that's been done. Between point one and two, you just make a little ad for Marathon Gas Station across the street. Yeah, or, point three brought to you by yeah. the gas station across the street. There you go. It's actually not a bad idea. <laughs> no, and, I'm hey, kidding. You, it's a terrible idea. We're talking about humor, so it was very apropos. Um, I, think, I think the humor and illustrations, they can be a good tool to make something practical. So if you're talking about something deep and theological in a sermon, you're expounding that, these deep truths in the scriptures, they can, they can often be very, very heady and theoretical, but illustrations and stories, they bring it down to the practical level. Mm-hmm. Not everybody in your congregation has gone to seminary and understands or even values 
the same way that most preachers, most theologians, the way they value these deep, rich doctrinal truths. And so what they value is the doctrinal made practical. And so that's what illustration and humor can do. It can bring things into that. And also it makes something memorable. Illustrations done rightly, humor done rightly, it will make the biblical points memorable. There'll be a hook to hang it on, something sticky that that stays with the person that later they're able to make that connection back to the biblical point. Totally. And naturally, humans don't memorize propositions as easily as they memorize a story. Right. Um, And so that's a great way. Yeah. Yeah. But with that, what are some of the dangers or precautions that you would have um, with humor, stories, illustrations becoming uh, dominant in a sermon? Yeah, I think one of the, the main dangers, even if it's not dominant, a dominant theme in your uh, a dominant aspect in your preaching is you never want to use an illustration, a story, or a joke that could cause people to question your character. I mean, to be able to stand up and preach the gospel is is not it's not a it's not a right that anybody has. It is a privilege given by God to be His mouthpiece. I mean, to understand what we are called to do in that moment is a very holy thing. So we want to use holy humor. We want to we want to use it in ways to adorn the gospel. We want our stories uh, to tell the truth. And we want to be truth tellers. Now, I'm broken and I'm sinful and I'm human, but I'm also called to a standard. And according to um, all of what our, our, scripture, our scripture says and all of what our, our church documents say, I've had to meet a qualified standard. Now, if I say something in a sermon, a joke, an illustration, anything, if I, if I just exaggerate too much, it could cause somebody to believe, I can't believe this guy. His character's off. You never want that to happen, no matter how many laughs it gets. I want to be careful using cultural references. You know, some people believe they have the freedom to, um, in, in, to ingest certain music and television and entertainment. Be careful using your freedom uh, in such a way that it could cause someone else to stumble, their conscience uh, to be affected. I've seen this a number of times when people quote movies. And they may, may very well have watched the TBS version with all of the scandalous stuff cut out. But they said, I watched this movie, and here's this illustration. And somebody in the room says, oh, I would never watch that movie because I looked it up on IMDb, and it's got mm-hmm. nudity and bad language and adult themes. And why is the preacher watching that? And so we have to be careful for those kinds of things. I think another danger that's really big in illustrations and stories especially is making yourself the hero. You don't want to be the hero. Jesus is the hero. Mm-hmm. We've had eras of, of this moralistic preaching where we go through the Old Testament and this person's a hero and this person's a hero or Paul's a hero. Be like them. Well, that's not actually what the story of Scripture tells us. It's None of these people are heroes. Jesus is. Mm-hmm. And so only when they do things that point to Jesus are they heroic. Most of the time, these people show us our need for Christ, a need for a perfect Savior. But we can do that as well in our preaching. We tell a story. And we're wanting to do what Paul says and help people to understand the call to follow me as I follow Christ. But there's a thin line there of making ourselves the hero. Look how well I evangelize. And every time I share the gospel, someone gets saved. And every time I put my hand to something, there's success. And, and I have all this money to spend because God blesses me because I'm, I'm favorable. I favor before God and man. We be careful to make ourselves the hero. We also, at the same time, need to make, self, make sure we don't practice too much self-deprecation. That's equally as bad. Again, if, if you are um, a horrible person that can never get it right, that's just clumsy in every aspect of life, and you're kind of foolish, 
because you tell all these jokes about how you always screw everything up. Why should anybody in the room listen to you if you're not disciplined and, and you, can't, you can't lead well? Uh, if you're not a good husband, if you're a, a bonehead father and all these jokes, I mean, there, there might, may, not, may not be true, there may be exaggerations, but you tell them, people in the room are like, well, why would I follow this guy? So be careful about that. Also, don't make someone else the butt of the joke, especially your family. I mean, pastor's wives and pastor's kids, that is one of the things that causes so much pain for them in the churches. First of all, pastors can air their family's dirty laundry. They can tell stories that are just really embarrassing. Maybe not to the pastor, but to his kids or his wife who aren't as naturally open about their home life. Be careful about that. But humor involving other people can, can cause um, this natural fight against what I call a culture of honor. Romans 12.10 says to outdo one another in showing honor. And if because we have a mic, we feel like we have the freedom to always cut on somebody, the other pastor, the deacon, um, somebody we really love. We, we joke on them, and then we say, oh, you know, I'm just kidding. You know I love you. Yeah, but mm-hmm. it creates this culture of, of biting sarcasm, and it fights against the culture of honor. So be careful about using specifically humor, but also illustrations that would, that would be joking and lead to those kinds of things as well. So humor has a place. Stories have a place. Um, They can be an aid to communicating the Bible, um, but they can also be dangerous. So as we think about navigating this tension well, um, depending on the preacher, using humor and finding stories and illustrations can be really easy and be the default and kind of become the crutch, as you described. Mm Or it can be really difficult and require a lot of energy and a lot of work to do that. So what would you say to each type of preacher? Yeah, so I'm not a natural illustrator. I'm, that's not my main thing. I'm, when it comes down to, to explanation, illustration, application, I am explanation heavy. That's, that's where I really uh, feel like I enjoy and shine when it comes to communicating the Bible. So I have to work hard, especially at illustrations. I've got to make sure that I'm looking for them because my wife, especially, and other leaders around me have told me again and again, when you used illustrations today or when you use illustrations at all, like your sermons are so much more powerful. Mm-hmm. They take it from a, a, a theoretical level, a, a learning level to a heart level. And I want that. That's my desire. And so I need to listen to their wisdom and I need to get better at that. I need to value it more than I do. So I would say that to guys, work to grow with that. Value it. Understand that your greatest goal in preaching is not to look smart. That's a tendency for guys who love the Bible and love theology. You want to look smart because smarts is something that's attractive to you. And knowing God is something that's very attractive to you. Well, I once had a guy tell me, Noah, um, you're smart, but you don't need to tell us everything that you know. You need to tell us everything that we need to know. And that was the only time this guy had heard me preach and he hadn't heard me preach again until a couple months ago. And I did an event for his church. And he came up and encouraged me on my growth as a preacher. And I noticed looking at those notes that night, it was full of illustrations. Small, short, applicable illustrations. And I think that that's what did it. It wasn't about me trying to look smart. I had nothing to prove to them. Instead, what I wanted them to do was understand what the Lord's Word said so that they could go and obey it. And so I think you have to, you're, you're going to, work at this. Um, But I've also met guys who preach a 45-minute message, and 36 minutes of that message is nothing but run-on stories and jokes. Mm -hmm. Very little biblical content. I have a hard time calling that a sermon. And so, you call it a talk, 
call it whatever you want, but I want to train guys in my church, guys in my network, I want to train them to be preachers, not talkers. There's a specific call to preach. And so what I would say is to that guy, switch that around. If you're really strong at illustrations, um, take those illustrations down and bring that explanation up. So either way, you've got to value the other side and you've got to work at developing your ability to do the other thing. Well, and when there's that many stories, that many illustrations, they actually, it undermines the power of them because the goal of those things is to highlight the truth that you're teaching and to make it memorable, to make it practical. Absolutely. And when all I remember is nine stories that the preacher shared, um, it's not actually helping me do the goal. So, um, so... As somebody who has to work on developing illustrations, finding them, um, how do you do that? How can preachers find great stories and illustrations? And do you think this is something that we can grow in? Um, or is it kind of one of those things that you just got the skill or you don't? Well, I think, I think you grow in this through experience in life. Um, you probably noticed before, um, on average, the younger the preacher is, the younger his illustrations are. Yeah. I mean, that was actually some of the critique that I got when I first got out. I mean, I'm still probably in that camp. But when I first got out of college and was preaching, um, my lead pastor told me, he said, Nate, if you're going to preach to our church on a regular basis, you know, four times a year, um, you've got to work on thinking about the 45-year-old who's listening. Um, All of the illustrations can't be about dating or, you know, doing something stupid. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, Absolutely. I mean, I was definitely in that camp. Yeah, so these illustrations can come off sophomoric, mm-hmm. they can come off um, young, or they can come off as borrowed, that you heard it from a commentary, you heard it from another preacher, and you borrowed it, because it sounds too sophisticated for who you are. So there's a balance there. Mm-hmm. But I just think, I think that's why one of the reasons that Paul says the qualifications for elders, those who should be doing the bulk of preaching in a church, they often have to do with life experience. There's, I know it's not a, an absolute prerequisite, but marriage is helpful, and having kids in a household is helpful for development. Also, not being a new believer, and so that could be, you know, culturally uh, specific. It may mean that hey, you're a new believer until you're out of the house, or you're you're a new believer until you're um, in your late twenties or early thirties. I'm not sure what that looks like, but I think you know when you see it that it's no longer feeling young. It feel it no longer feels borrowed. It feels developed. Um, but I think that comes with life experience. But I do think that preachers can grow in this if they're intentional about it. Now, no matter how old they are, how long they've been preaching. But I think you have to do this by thinking like an illustrator. You have to walk around in your normal everyday life thinking like someone who wants to take the mysteries of God and make them plain to people. To take the Word of God and make it helpful and useful and practical in a person's life. And so one of the ways to do this is to practice gospel fluency drills. I've mentioned this in an earlier episode of the podcast. You take anything in life, any object, and you use that to get to the gospel. You can do this just driving down the road, listening to the radio, seeing a commercial, reading your news feed, anything like that, and saying, what does the gospel say about that? How does the gospel speak into that? Or how does that tell one of these sub-narratives of the gospel, our need for Jesus. And I've, I try to practice that on a regular basis. It helps me think like an illustrator. So when I get into a text, then maybe he's talking about a subject that I don't have a lot of experience in. I have a lot of experience in the gospel, though. And so now I can make these, these connections because I've been practicing that. So I would say, um, do that. Hear something serious, funny, trivial, everyday, or out of the ordinary. And whatever it is, practice making connection to the gospel. And you do this, 
it's going to come together when you're preparing to preach. So let me ask you this question. Does the genre of text that you're preaching influence how many stories you should use? I think so. I really do. Absolutely. You see, when you're preaching a narrative, you're preaching a story. And what I found is when you're preaching a narrative, it is best to use storying in that so that people can understand what's really going on. And so if I'm doing a lot of storying, I don't want to then shift to an illustration that's a long story. Right. It's You're already confuse. telling a story. Yeah. It's going to confuse the pace. People aren't going to be able to, to grab a hold of that. So instead, I'll use more quick-hitting illustrations, quick-hitting explanations that are, that are really clear and explicit mm-hmm. that people can grab a hold of. Um, on the other side, when I'm preaching a Pauline text, which tends to be really rich and thick with doctrine, I might tell more stories to help people understand the point being made in one verse or a phrase because Paul packs all of this meaning into one stinking phrase that you could preach parts of Ephesians. You could preach one verse at a time for weeks on weeks because he puts so much in a long run on sentence. And in another way, you could be preaching some wisdom literature that gets really, really heavy. And you may want to introduce some humor into that. I remember when I preached through Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. We needed to have some humor in that. Mm-hmm. Because we needed people to understand, well, that's apart from Jesus. That's apart from the gospel. And the gospel lets us laugh. And the gospel takes a meaningless life and gives it joy, and gives it purpose. At the same time, if you are in, in more of a happy text all the time, we need to introduce some illustrations that bring us some sobriety. So I think it's, it's complementary uh, illustrations and stories uh, when it comes to genres. That's cool. Let me ask you this question. This might be um, even better for another podcast at some point. But what about visual aids, props, um, PowerPoint even, or ProPresenter, whatever? Um, what place do you think that has? I think whatever tool you can use to help accomplish the main purpose of the sermon for the people that you're preaching to, I think that unless there's something explicit in Scripture that says you ought not do this, Mm -hmm. then I think there's freedom and there's also a responsibility to do that. So there are times I'm not a notes guy. I don't like to make PowerPoint slides. But I understand that in certain sermons that I preach, because of the number of points or the the inability for me to make these points really, really brief, Mm -hmm. I need to put something on the screen so someone can see. They need slides. Um, sometimes people need handouts. They need something to do tangibly. Yeah. Now, I think if I do the same thing every single time, it's just as bad as coming up with a model for my sermon and never deviating from it. So I think as the preacher is prayerful, which is one of the main things a preacher needs to do to prepare, pray before, pray after, not only prepare the sermon prayerfully, prepare the preacher prayerfully. He needs to be asking the question, how can I best communicate this? Man, I would have been a guy that when I first started in, um, in planting, I probably would have been foolish enough to make fun of people who use props. But some of the most powerful illustrations I've ever used were props that I brought on stage. Mm-hmm. I brought a tree on stage one time in one of those plastic buckets and you buy them at, at Lowe's or Home Depot. I brought one of those, uh, those water containers with a spigot that you often put lemonade in with a dispenser for a party. I brought it up on stage and I would have said like, oh man, this is goofy if I saw someone starting to do it. But the illustration that the Lord used, people still talk about it years later. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think because I use them sparingly, I use them purposefully, and it wasn't about highlighting the illustration. It was highlighting the point of the text with the illustration. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think about that too. Tony Evans, I think, is the master of the illustration. Um, and 
there are so many points that he has made that I remember because he had this really cool illustration or he brought something up with him that like um, it just it's a picture that helps me remember you know in the same way that um, yeah you know pictures help you remember all kinds of stuff symbols help you remember stuff so well you think about it a lot of what we have going on in scripture uh, are sermons and we have letters, but it's, it's a personal sermon or a sermon or many sermons compiled for a church. We could think of it, about it that way, I believe. And as we do, especially in the Hebrew language, word pictures are running rampant all throughout the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And I, I preached on text in Proverbs recently and just word picture after word picture. And then Paul does that as well. He will use language when he's speaking to these Greek churches that comes from their culture. And if we're not careful, we'll miss out on the point that he's making. But he's pulling in references and phrases that bring a picture into a person's mind in the Greek-speaking world. And so I think we can do well to make those kind of references. But sometimes, if it's not a reference we can make to our culture, and we're explaining someone else's culture, a prop or a picture, something along those lines can help people understand it fully. That's cool. So at the end of the day, regardless of your personality type, the genre of the text, um, what is the target for the preacher? So in my mind, the target for the preacher is what I call the word cycle. You want to help the audience hear, believe, and obey the word of God. So first, they need to hear the word of God. What does the text say? What is God saying to the original audience? What is he saying to us? He meant to say something. And I think that is the, it is the foundational thing. If they don't understand what God is saying, they can't do anything else. So they need to hear. I, my goal is to help them hear the Word of God. Number two is not only to help them hear it, but hear it in such a way that they can believe it, mm-hmm. that it's compelling, that it's good. You know, if you preach a really heavy ser- sermon, a heavy content, and you turn the lights off, remember Crawford Loritz said, you've got to turn the light switch on at the end of that. They've got to see the joy in believing Jesus and the joy in walking in this, in this command of Scripture, even if it's difficult, even if it's discipline, that there is the peaceful fruit of righteousness that's yielded later. And then thirdly, um, you want them to not only hear and believe the Word, you want them to be able to obey the Word based on what you've said. So if you give them the Word in such a way that I understand this, and I believe it's true and it's good, but I don't know how to do this in my life, have you accomplished your goal? Not yet. Not yet. Your goal's not finalized yet. And I think that's where a lot of preaching, and even mine, can, can stop short. I've helped you to believe it. I've helped you to hear it. You understand, and you know this doctrine so well, and you love it. It's good. And that'll help you in an argument with somebody who doesn't believe that doctrine. But if your life is not able to obey that, if you don't know the practical ways for this to work itself out, I've not finished my job yet. Thanks for listening to the Luke 10.2 podcast. For more information about the SEND network in St. Louis, visit SENDSTL.com.